Hi, everybody. This is Alana with the Dealing with Donor Conception podcast. Happy New Year. This is the first podcast of 2020, and it's going to be a phenomenal podcast. Today, I have a special guest that I'm really excited to introduce you guys to because she's an important person in my life, and she's been an important person in a very many donor-conceived people's lives. And she's sharing with us today um, her personal testimony, but also a um, experience that she recently had in November going to the United Nations and speaking at the 30th anniversary of the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child. Um, I want to introduce to you Stephanie Rymakers. Hi, Hi, Steph. Thanks for coming on. So you live in Belgium. You speak Uh Dutch and English and probably five other languages. And and your donor conceived. Uh, Yes, I'm a donor conceived from Belgium. Yeah. And you found out that you were donor conceived in your 20s, right? Yeah, I was 25. Um, And I need to tell you that I'm part of triplets. So I have a brother and a sister. My mother became pregnant of triplets uh, after the doctor impregnated her with uh, some donor sperm. And um, I discovered that I was donor conceived at the age of 25 on my birthday. And um, so for now, I think now 15 years, I know that I'm a donor conceived. But a couple of years ago, we also discovered that we were conceived by a cocktail of different sperm samples. So um, it's it's a difficult one to grasp, but my triplet sister has an other biological father than uh, our triplet brother and me. Yeah. Wow. So when you found this out, you, you got to work. So you became um, an activist, a citizen journalist, and you founded um, two really important organizations in Europe. You founded Donor Kinderin. Mm-hmm. And you uh, were one of the founding members of Donor Detectives. So you guys help other donor-conceived people find their half-siblings and donors. And in the last 15 years since you've been grappling with all this, you've been helping other people kind of take them through the process of their discovery and, and, and everything. When did, you, when did you guys found – or when did you found Donor Kinderin? And what's been the result of – um, sharing your testimony and um, well, I founded Donor Kinderen in 2012 um, in Belgium. Uh, most people don't know this of my country, but in Belgium there was nothing for donor conceived um, in my country. And when um, we discovered that we were donor conceived, it wasn't that there were p- places that we could go to to meet and talk to other donor conceived as well. So I started an on- online search. Um, I found a few donor conceived um, and I could talk to them by email or by Skype. And I soon discovered that the issues that I was having of being donor conceived um, were mutual to other people who are also donor conceived. So when I started to do my research, I, st- I discovered that there was nothing for us. So I decided to, to, to um, build something and to form something and to organize um, 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 and to start a Facebook page and to start meetings because in the beginning it was never the, the, the focus on becoming what I am today. It just happened. Uh, but in the beginning it was just um, so I could talk to other people, but I could also make it possible for others to come in contact with, uh, with our kind. I call us our kind. 
Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I started to do research and I started to dig in and I started to um, realize that the practice in my country uh, has been happening uh, from the age of uh, 1950s. We started with donor conception in Belgium. Um, and I also started to research the practice of today. So what is possible, um, uh, which doctors are doing what, and um, because it's, um, I said, to inform people, you have to have good information. So I started to gather information, um, but I also started to discover a lot of things, uh, kind of like why is doctors, um, I uncovered a few scandals in my country. And um, I also started a political lobby. So Donor Kinderen was in the first place to help other donor conceive, but it was also to start a political lobby to change the law because uh, nothing is going to change if we don't have laws that say that everything needs to be changed as well. So um, I worked on two law propositions in my country. I was an official member um, for the Minister of Public Health as well on the matter of ancestry and, and being able to trace relatives if you lost relatives. Um, and I did a lot of uh, journalist beats, uh, pieces with um, um, magazines and, and uh, journals on the matter because uh, people need to know. Um, there are, there's a lot of ignorance in my country. So I tried to bring the correct information to the right person so the best decisions can be made, yeah, on her behalf, yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. And all this has kind of culminated into an event that I think is as big as it gets. And, and that is on November 19th of 2019, just recently, just a month or two ago, mm -hmm. you went to the UN. Yeah. And, and you, go ahead. Yeah, we went to the UN. Um, so over the years, my network of people that I know um, yeah, has become increasingly bigger because I, I, I try to discuss the issue with as much as people that I can. And um, in my network, um, I was asked by an NGO uh, in Switzerland. Um, they were offered some time to do a session on children's rights right at the, in the age of biotechnology. Um, this person knows me for over a couple of years. I think she was there. I, I met her when I just found out that we had different fathers. So it was a bit strange as well because everything is connected in my life, apparently. Um, and um, she was doing a session on uh, children's rights on the age of biotechnology. And she asked me um, if I would be able to um, organize the presentation. Um, I got carte blanche. So I was, I was offered 40 minutes together with somebody else, Sonia from Australia. She's not a donor conceived, but she, does, she has done a lot lot of work for donor conceived in, in Australia and we were asked to do a presentation so um, we stuck our heads together and then we um, started to organize the thing so um, our idea was to address some of the core issues for donor conceived um, and let the people talk because donor conceived do not get often the occasion to address some of the issues we have to endure uh, due to the practice so um, we made a call in several international groups uh, and we asked people from all over the world, donor can see from all over the world to contribute, to have to share their ideas, but also to participate in the presentation because it's important that there are a lot of voices out there. Um, and uh, I know a lot of donor can see who are very eloquent in expressing um, the stuff they are dealing with. So um, it was time for them also to have a place 
to express their voice and their issues. That's that's phenomenal. I, I saw a picture of the group of donor conceived people that went, but maybe you could tell me there was at least 20 of you from yeah. around the world, right? Yeah, and it was nice because because we've me and Sonia we've been working on it for two months. Eh? So every Sunday we had a Skype meeting and an update on the presentation. Um, so we built it around the core issues of donor conceived, but also on the personal story. So each issue was expressed by a personal story of a donor conceived. And for me, it was tremendous because we called it also a, the patchwork of power, um, the different um, personal stories and the testimonies addressing these issues made it uh, so powerful um, because I know, know I know that the stuff that I'm dealing with but it's also confrontation it makes me I'm always gobsmacked by, by other people telling their stories because they're so honest they're so powerful but they're also um, uh, so clear um, we have an eloquent group of people that really know what they want to say and, and they can express it very very good um, so for me it was mind-blowing to be also to be in a room with people that I know from Facebook um, but I never got the chance to meet them and being in a room with some of my personal heroes um, was 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 inspiring as well, um, um, and that's the reason why I get up every day and why I do my emails and why I talk to people and why I think um, this is so important to get our voices out there um, because yeah. we matter and and we should matter always. Yeah, we are, and it's the civil way of changing things is to speak the truth mm -hmm. and communicate the reality that you want to see rather than blood or, you know, just accepting bad ideas. So I really commend you. I'm so proud of you and impressed because I know that that took a lot of hard work. I mean, it takes me a huge amount of effort just to get on, you know, travel to one city by myself, but to organize 20 or 30 people, um, all packing presentations that takes a lot of human effort, especially when you only they only give you a very limited amount of time to speak. Like I saw your presentation, which I want to link to in the show notes because I want people mm -hmm. to see you speak. But they gave you less than ten minutes to to talk about everything. Yeah, we had we had uh, forty minutes, uh, so we had sixteen speakers. I think in total we had sixteen people that are, that were speaking. Uh, we were under the time because we had we had the chronometer there. We had the time setting. We we weren't allowed to take more time um, than was offered to us. But we, it was eloquent. It was good. It was powerful. It was even. We did a even the day before we did the presentation. We did a we did a run. We did a practical run. So we were all together, and we did the presentation to one another because I read the presentation, but uh, everybody else hasn't. Uh, hadn't had an insight on the presentations of, of the other people right and really emotional because at one point people started to get up and, and start crying and move and, and leave the room uh, but it was good that we did a practical session because the, the, the stories and I hope that many people see the, the short stories that were presented at the UN um, and hear them out and they're so heartfelt and People always on donor conception and surrogacy, people always focus on the happy stories and the, it's a longing for a child and everybody happy and the good intentions. 
Um, but hearing firsthand from the people that experience the implications and the complications of these constructions are really in your face and it's confrontational, but it's dead honest. And these stories should be heard and, and read about because um, they're the ones and we're the ones dealing with the most uh, complications and implications about these um, practices. It's, it's very true. Um, we, is it possible to get like a one minute summary of the, the core ideas you guys were trying to transmit to the diplomats and statesmen there? Well, the, some of the core issues we addressed was, um, and that is for donor conceive, we don't have access to medical information. So there's a heartfelt um, testimony of uh, Joanna Rose, um, who talks about two people that she knows, two donor conceived who have died because they didn't have access to medical information. Um, then you have the other issue is we're not allowed to know where we come from. So we're not allowed to know our family where we descend from, but we're also not allowed to know our brothers, our half brothers and our half sisters with this. And that means that we have a potential risk in incest. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when you hear all the stories and in, in, in the final quotes of, of Sarah and Miff, um, if you take all the issues uh, combined that, donor conceived and surrogacy born children go through and, and endure, um, we should evaluate the practice and maybe we should conclude that these practices are not in the best interest of children. Um, but that's a tough one to say and it's a tough one to hear and it's a tough one because the industry doesn't want to know or doesn't want to hear. Um, uh, but it is the case. It's donor conception and surrogacy are not in the best interest of children and never will be. Thank you for saying that. I, I want. I put together. I went through the, the original convention of the rights of the child mm -hmm. that was created in 1989, 30 years ago, and I pulled out some of the articles that I thought were relevant to donor conception. And so I thought that you and I could could go back and read some of them. Um, I'll start off with Article Three. Um, this is an international standard that they put forth as to how um, the United Nations feels we should treat children, the rights that they deserve. And um, in the opening of the convention, they say, um, you know, the commission states that the family is the fundamental group of society and the natural environment for the growth and well-being of all its members and particularly children. Um and this should be afforded the ne children should be afforded the necessary protection and assistance so that the family can fully assume its responsibilities within the community. They said, we recognize that the child for the full and harmonious development of his or her personality should grow up in a family environment and an atmosphere of happiness, love and understanding. And I'm editing a lot out. Um, I, I didn't edit the words, but I, there's a lot more to this, but um, skipping on to article three, they say, in all actions concerning children, whether undertaken by public or private social welfare institutions, courts of law, administrative authorities, or legislative bodies, the best interest of the child shall be a primary consideration. Mm -hmm. Then they say, states, parties undertake to ensure the child's such protection and care as is necessary for their well-being. Um, uh, I'm going to skip a little bit, says we have to ensure that the institutions, and I think, you know, fertility 
agencies and hospitals and clinics, these all are considered institutions, um, ensure that these institutions, services, and facilities responsible for the care or protection of children shall conform with the standards established by competent authorities, um, particularly for safety, health, and um, and competent supervision. So can we can we comment on this for a little bit, Article 3? So they're saying that basically um, here's the standards for care for children, and mm-hmm. let's ensure that all the institutions are in compliance with these standards, like they meet these standards. But clearly when you have um, – a lot of fertility clinics and, and institutions operating, uh, they're, they're just almost human trafficking facilities. Um, I'm going to go there and say that they're just getting children to people who pay them and they're not meeting the standards of ensuring the best interest of the child. Do you have any other comments for this in particular? Um, yeah, the loophole that, that um, people tend to use when they take the conventions and, and they they take the convention and they put it um, across donor conception and surrogacy is that they don't consider us children. Um, they only consider us children from the moment that we were born. It's something legal. Um, but um, with the discussion on surrogacy, because at the UN, we were also able to make recommendations on behalf of donor conceived and surrogacy born children. Um, and when you read our recommendation and when the recommendations are followed, the, the conclusion is that it's not possible to make donor conception or surrogacy in the best interest of the children um, because the interest of the child doesn't come first. It's always the interest of the independent parents, the adults that are longing for the children, uh, but also the clinics and the doctors. And Miff says in her final statement, she says that maybe doctors should go to the first amendment of their practice and that is do no harm. And if you see children in, in, in the construction of donor conception, you see that or you must conclude that it's not in their best interest. So even if you take Article 3 and you put it to donor conception and surrogacy, um, this article should abolish uh, the practice because it can never be in their best interest. So um, so it's a good, I, I think it's a good article uh, in the convention. Um, and we should use the convention in everything that we do towards children, not only uh, the creation of children, uh, in, on other levels of the interest of children as well. Um, and I think there was a good uh, thing, uh, that it was also published um, around the anniversary of the, of the Convention of the Children's Rights, is that uh, there was one uh, um, company that made a DNA, they, they put the convention in uh, to synthetic DNA as a message that we should uphold the convention in every decision that we make as adults in society. And when you take the article, but the, the other articles as well, it, it, for me, it's very clear that it can never be in the best interest of, of donor conceived and surrogacy on children because uh, there's always uh, other party holders that want to um, dictate how it goes and what is in the best interest of children. Um, and so, yeah, no. So if you take article three, then, then you can see that donor conception and surrogacy um, violates article three as well as the other right. articles that we are going to discuss. Right. So I, you know, I sent you some of these. Do you see article six? Do you want to go ahead and read that one? 
Yeah, Article Six is that you. Um, I said. Um, I think the the, the second uh, bit in Article Six is the most important for joint disease as well. Um, the state parties shall ensure that to the maximum extent possible the survival and development of the child. Um, if that is the case, and we should abide Article Six, then we should make it possible that the child has the right to its family because it's important for the development of the child to have access to its biological family, um, its culture its identity. So if you take donor conception and surrogacy, <laughs> yet again you see that Article 6 is, um, is, is, is not followed in donor conception and surrogacy as well. Yeah, well, for so many reasons. And I mean, some of them people will put different weights on, but, mm -hmm. you know, for surrogacy, you don't have a mother. I mean, kids used to die because they didn't have their mother. If your mother died in childbirth, the chances of you dying as an infant were greatly increased. And, you know, the, if you're able to have breast milk for a long period of time, it boosts your immune system and it gives you probiotics and antibodies and, and it's good, great for your health. But also if you don't have a biological parent, like the instance of the Cinderella effect, which is the, you know, it, proven in every society they've studied it that if you have a non-genetic caregiver the chances of lethal or near lethal child abuse or even sexual abuse goes up tremendously like dramatically and so to to really foster a respect for that genetic link and try to ensure that the child gets to be raised by the biological parents i mean you're doing a lot to ensure the safety, survival, and development of the child by keeping those links intact. And then you have Article 7, um, and then at the end of Article 7, it's the right of a child to know and to be cared for by his, his or her parents. Um, there's a lot of discussion in my country as well, because what is parents? And, and if you take the word parents, are the parents the caretakers of the child and if the parents are the caretakers of the child there shouldn't be a biological link but it's it's contradictory because a lot of adults do great effort to have at least one biological link with the child because they think biology matters and it matters uh, it matters for the adults and the parents but it also matters for the children so right. um, we have great discussions about the article 7 in my country uh, for donor conceived as well eh? um, um, but I think um, in, in Belgium, there's now a very interesting court case. It's not by the, by the donor conceived, uh, but it's by the illegitimate child of the former king of Belgium. So he has um, conceived the child with another woman. Uh, uh. Her, name, her name is Delphine. And uh, she has been in court for five years um, to get her right to know where she comes from, um, acknowledged by, by, by law. And um, in every uh, verdict of the court cases that she has been doing so far, um, it is stated that she has the right to know where she comes from. Um, she she will not, she's over 40, so she, she she's, she's not looking for a parent that will take care of her, but she wants the parent that of whom she descends from on her birth certificate. Right. So um, and it's it's for me it's also an interesting court case because also in the Convention of the Rights of the Children, it says that children should never be discriminated um, on behalf of their rights. So if children out of wedlock have the right to know where they come from, then children out of donor conception will also have the right to know where they come from. Because it's an, it, this right 
is for everyone and not just for one group because you are not allowed to discriminate um, on the rights of children. So um, for me, it's going to be a good, it, I'm looking forward for the final verdict in our court case. Um, and it will be tremendous for, for donor fatigue in Belgium, um, but also children out of wedlock in Belgium as well. That is so well said. Uh, children out of wedlock, if they have a right to their identity, then so do donor conceived. Mm-hmm. Wow, what an amazing story. Um, what's her name? You said Delphine? Delphine Boel. Delphine Boel. And she's an artist, so she, she's a, she makes paintings and she makes sculptures. And, and she's really funny as well, because in every uh, uh, work that she does, she, she uh, sticks the underlining message that she's the former king's daughter so it, it's it's a woman with a with a good sense of humor um, um and for me um i know her a bit I, i've been in contact with her um but um, i i understand her quest and her struggle to get acknowledged and i think she has the every right to know where she comes from um, and it should be acknowledged by all the parties that she's the biological daughter of her former king as a former king. Yeah, that segues perfectly into Article 8, which says, I think this is the most relevant to donor conception, but it says states, parties undertake to respect the right of the child to preserve his or her identity, including nationality, name, and family, family relations as recognized by law without unlawful interference. And their second point says where a child is illegally deprived of some or all of the elements of his or her identity, states parties shall provide appropriate assistance and protection with a view to reestablishing speedily his or her identity. So what do you think of that? Yeah, for us, it's it's the most important article in the Convention of the Rights of the Child um, because it says clearly that the right, the child has the right to his or her identity, not the identity that other people want to give <laughs> them. Mm-hmm. So um, it makes the child the most important person to uh, consider. Um, so for me, it's it's a biggie. Um, it's an important article, and it's correct. It's it's for me. I, I couldn't agree more with that article for everyone, eh? for every person. And it's not, it's not only the, the rights of the children. Um, in, in the, at the UN, it was also stated that we should consider children's rights as human rights because it's, it's, it, it's for everyone and it should be there for everyone, not only children because children grow up to be adults, uh, but we, can, we should consider them as well as human rights and not only when they're young uh, Till the age of 18 um, um, these are rights that should last for their lives um, Great and point. Not a small part of their lives so um, yes and and if you read the article I know that America doesn't didn't sign the convention um, but when you see and you look at this this article my country has signed it but we don't abide by it so um, it's concerning as well that uh, we have acknowledge these rights in my country but we don't make laws that <laughs> that abide by these rights as well so uh, but it's an important and i don't think it's ever going to leave the convention um it's a it's, it's a very important article for them to see 
and surrogacy-born children, but also children out of wedlock. For everyone, every child has the right or should have the right to have access to their identity. Um, and if their access is denied, the state should help them getting that back. Yeah. And, and that's why we're talking about it too. Like states are less likely to enforce the laws that they create if the culturally people don't have a lot of spirit behind it and enthusiasm behind it. So part of the objective of this podcast is to get people um, thinking for themselves and really understanding the importance of the ideas and in reinvigorating the, the culture because it's a, it's a conversation. It's a two way street. It's not just the, elite in Washington or the elite in Brussels telling everybody else how to live and then we abide by it. It's a, um, you know, we're all swimming in the same water, so to speak. So we need to clean the water and clean the tank and make sure that the ideas that are going around are good ones. Um, so article nine is very lengthy. I don't know if you could read the, all of it. Um, did you, do you want to take that one, Steph? Yeah, Article 9 is that a child shall not be separated from his or her parents against their will, um, except when competition, competent authorities should subject. Um, and then um, it's about the fact that a child has the right to his or her parents and that the best interest of the child should be considered before... Um, being separated from their parents if there is a good reason to separate a child from their parents um, but it's also um, um, separation the end at four when separate such separation results from any action initiated by a state party such as detention imprisonment exile deportation and death blah blah blah, blah. Um, one of their, um, um, this article is kind of like about the, the kinship and the family ties and it's not only just about parents but it's also about other family ties and for me for example i discovered a half brother and a half sister um, last year um, i find it so unjust that i wasn't allowed to know them or have them in my life for over 40 years because they're my half brother and they're my half sister um, and we're not supposed to know one another um, as well so um if you take Article 9 and you see the separation, um, states or institutes shouldn't be allowed to separate the liberty people from their family. Um, and it was against my will. Um, but I wasn't aware of the fact that I had siblings. But should I have been aware of the fact that I had siblings or other siblings, I would have expressed the fact that I wanted to know them from the beginning and not at the middle of my life. Well, it's like a wealth, you know, family members are kind of like wealth. And just as if you were, if you had a trust fund of money that was, had your name on it, um, it's like the adults took that trust fund and said, oh, she's not going to need this. She's not going to want it. And they just took it away from you. It, it can be assumed that you're going to want to know your half siblings. Just like it can be assumed that you're going to want to have access to your trust fund money. You know, it's, they're both wealth and they both belong to you. You share DNA. It has your thumbprints on it. 
you know yeah. it's something of me and 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 nobody else would like that i don't think anybody else is entitled to keep stuff of me from me um and i think it's so wrong and i see it in our group all the time donor conceive where um there are matches between uh, one donor I, i'm always happy when when siblings find one another uh but you have the happiness of finding one another but then you also have the anger because you know what you've missed um ah. and you begin to realize what has been taken away from you um and i know one donor conceived she was looking for a biological father and she did find him but she was too late he 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 died a year ago um and and for her it was it was awful it was it was sadness but it was also missing and the fact that everybody in her surroundings made great effort to keep her away from finding him um and the fact that you can find him but then he he passed away so you will never have the chance to talk to him while she had a life of 25 years to talk to him and to spend time with him so for me it's robbery of yeah it's kind of like sort of robbery of of important things where other people decide for you that they are not important but yet they are are and let people decide what is important and what is not important to them um but that shouldn't depend on other people's opinions um of wanting to know or being able to access something so um robbery is a good word yeah and it's not only rob- robbery it's deprivation as well um yeah. um and i saw yeah it's it has nothing to do with donor conception but i saw the documentary um uh, ident- three identical strangers and for me it was mind blowing because uh, three identical strangers is about identical triplets and i have a soft spot for triplets and twins right um and, and they were deliberately separated from one another because uh, there was one doctor who needed to do an experiment on nature and nurture um and the boys at the age of 18 by coincidence they found they find one another but then you see the complexity and the implication but also the realization of the deprivation um they endured because they were separated um and and they were better when they were with three than they were separated and and it it it's it's, it's almost um how do you call it it's almost so injustice it's it's so um it's also it's not only deprivation it's dehumanization if they don't acknowledge who we are and our connections we're just means to an end and we're not persons or we're not considered as as humans or we're not respected as hum- as humans as we should be we're respected we're, as he, yeah. guinea pigs guinea yeah, pigs we're guinea pigs yeah we're kind of like social experiments um and, and pets and, Yeah and yeah and yeah sometimes I also say to people if 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 they want to have a child and yes and I'm entitled to have a child nobody's entitled to have a child but then I say yes you can have a dog as well but the dog will have a ancestry card with him and children don't so um um and it's it's not okay to treat us um that way um and we should be um uh, equal in the conversation and not even equal we should be of a higher standard in the conversation when our interests are being discussed and right. that was what we were going to do and we did in the united nations um to address the fact that when our interests are being discussed it's rarely that donor conceived or surrogacy born children are have a seat at the table uh it's most 
uh, the, the industry users and the doctors in the industry sitting at the table writing a new game set of, new game set of rules. Um, but it should be the children that are sitting at the table discussing our interests and not, not the ones um, who have other interests in mind than ours. Yeah, I've experienced some censorship and it's very troubling. I'm, I'm really proud of you for going there and organizing that. And we, I only can afford just a few more minutes um, mm -hmm. for the recording, but I want you to get on, on the record, you know, what's the next step from here and like, what should we do? Like what, if you're a donor conceived person listening to this or you want to get involved somehow, where, what are some concrete things that you want people to do and action steps that people should take? Uh, firstly, um, I would suggest to get in contact with other donor conceived. Um, there are some organizations in America like your website, but you also have weardonorconceived.com. Uh, and donorchildren.com, if I'm correct, mm -hmm. um, and start to express and let your voices be heard and write stuff and do a podcast or do a documentary or um, start to contact uh, policymakers um, to get the issues addressed. Because I really think that once we get a seat at the table to address some of the issues we endure, um, it will be much difficult for policymakers to ignore us so the more voices that are out there um, I think everybody's equivalent enough to express themselves um, talk about it express it and and for me it's easy because I talk about donor conception all the time but talk to your neighbor uh, talk to your people at the work and 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 talk about it make it a conversation uh, instead of a monologue of the industry and the industry users, but, but get your voice out there. If you are able, uh, do so. Uh, buy a blog. I don't care. Um, just put your feelings and your thoughts and your um, considerations, but also your um, the stuff that you're dealing with. Get it out there, uh, because maybe you can help somebody else um, by um, making them listen or read stuff that you've been reading, uh, so people know that they're not alone. Um, I, I, I see in our group that a lot of people who think that they're alone, but we're not alone. And we should stand together um, and, and, and stand together in the quest of, of getting our interests on the table uh, and not making them a side note or a check in the box or something that you do as a checklist. Um, we should be on top of the priority list and not on the bottom. And so uh, make yourself heard. Uh, and inspire people, inspire others, because that's the only reason why I'm doing this is because I once got inspired by other people to do the things that I'm doing now. So, uh, thank you for that. I couldn't agree more. And there's enough room for everybody. Yeah, there's yeah, enough. Absolutely. There's awesome, awesome statement. And that, you know, we're more likely to get a seat at the table when there's a, a, a trail, a media trail. Um, something you can link to that you've done. Um, definitely great advice. Um, I'm going to, so Stephanie uh, Reimacher, I'm, I always butcher it when I'm doing a different language, but Reimacher, you are the founder of Donor Kinderin and the co-founding member of Donor Detectives. If anybody's looking to try to um, connect with the half sibling or find their donor, 
she's like the best resource out there um, as far as getting to the bottom of it. And I'm going to link to your UN presentation in the show notes and just some other relevant links that I want people to check out as far as your work goes. Um, but for now, we're out of time. So, Steph, thank you for being on this podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for inviting me to do an interview. And always a pleasure. Great. So this is um, the first episode of 2020. This is Dealing with Donor Conception. Thank you guys for listening. And I hope you tune in next Thursday for the, for the second episode of the year. And hopefully um, we're going to get some more great interviews from people doing incredible work, just like Stephanie's doing. And thanks for listening. I hope you have a great start to your new year.